I never want to break up fellowship like that, so I'm going to let you keep going, so I won't stop you. But today, we're going to be in uh, John chapter 8, verse 31. Um, the series that we're in is That You May Believe, and today's, the title of today's teaching is uh, True Spiritual Freedom. And what we're going to talk about, Jesus calls us as disciples to hold on to his word. And we're going to see that in this passage, that we're supposed to obey and know his word. Jesus tells these Jews that have just now started to believe him that they will know the truth and that the truth will set them free. That's a true freedom in who we are in Jesus Christ. Now, as we pick up where we left off last week, we see Jesus again teaching. That's something Jesus liked to do, wasn't it? He was always teaching. You know, and they're still at this tabernacle, this Feast of the Booths, and Jesus is still there teaching. And many people had heard Jesus' teachings, and it said some believed in him. Their faith started to grow. It started to blossom. The key verse that Jesus is going to give instructions is for how to be free from sin and the bondage of sin and death. But for some of us, and really all of us, we need to know what it means to be liberated. First, people don't even know that they're in prison sometimes. They don't know that they're bound up. The very definition of captive is one who is confined. That's exactly what they were and we were as well. And sometimes we people get into the change curve. Anybody know what the change curve is? Ever seen the change curve? It's all, usually it's denial then it moves to emotional, and then it goes to acceptance. And that's what we're going to see here with these Jews because they're going to be denying stuff, and then they're going to get very emotional because they're going to call Jesus some names. They're going to call him a couple names. But you and I were under that bondage of sin as well. We were held captive to sin, and we didn't have the power to overcome it, but Jesus does, and that's what we're going to talk about in verse 31 it says this, if you have your Bibles, it says, the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold on to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, this is to those Jews that just started believing. They started to have faith in him. And the Christian lifestyle is one of discipleship. And Jesus knew this very well. He knew that you have to leave a life of discipleship. And Jesus knew who they were instantly. And when they believed in him, and he looked, immediately turned to them, and he made it very clear what he was about to say. And he was calling to these new believers to come hold on to his teachings. Hold on to the word. If you do this, if you hold on to my word and my teachings, you are truly a disciple. In some versions it says, abide. Abide to dwell in me. You know, in John 15, it talks about the branches and the vines. If we abide in Christ, we can do nothing apart from him. We like that part, but the last part of it is very important for us. And it says this. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. Apart from Jesus, we will experience death. We will experience death. That Christian lifestyle of the discipleship is to follow Jesus, 
And as we start to follow him, our faith begins to grow. It begins to blossom as we listen to the word. And then it progresses to when we start following it. We start obeying God's word. And then this becomes an important part of our life. Disciples, we enjoy the freedom of God's truth when we understand this powerful truth is absolutely freeing to us when we understand that. You know, we have a a class here at the church. It's called One-on-One Discipleship. You might have heard that. We actually... uh, promoted it for a while, but this is for people who think they want to go deeper in their discipleship, in which we want everybody to do that. We set you up with a mentor who will walk with you for 10 weeks, and they will disciple you, and you can, and then you can become a better disciple, and then you can disciple someone. It's a 10-week class. If you're interested in that, come see me or one of the other pastors, and we'll be happy to get you in that. But it's very important that we we all become disciples. As disciples, we obey God's word and we start to grow in our spiritual knowledge. And as we grow in that knowledge and the truth, and what Jesus is saying is the truth will set you free. And he is the truth. In 1 John 14, 6, it says this, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We must be a disciple and we must have a relationship with Jesus. We have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. The point is, disciples obey and apply God's word in our life. James 1.22 puts it like this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Amen. That's simple, isn't it? Do what it says. Apply God's word into your life. We must have that relationship with Jesus, and we must have our model of Jesus in our lives. That's the example that we should have. Our words and our actions should always be under the influence and the direction of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. Jesus always did what pleased his Father. We learned that last week. He always did what pleased his Father. Do we always do what pleases God in our lives? We don't, but that's okay. We all fail. Our faith in Jesus increases when we enjoy that freedom, that truth that he provides as we are set free. In verse 33, it says, they answered him, we're Abraham's descendants and we have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Remember, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. Every time Jesus taught, they never got it. And this was touching a spot to them. This is like jabbing them a little bit, saying that they were, you know, slaves. And they said, we've never been slaves. We were free in our heritage. They were defending themselves. Remember the change curve, the denial, and the emotional? Well, they were proud of being Abraham's descendants. And they were not slaves. This is certainly not true, is it? Because right there, right now, at the festival that they are, they're celebrating the exodus from Egypt. That's what this festival is. They didn't even know that. They were were celebrating this bondage, the release from bondage that they had. Remember, they were out making hot bricks in the hot sun. They were slaves. And the Jews have been enslaved by seven mighty nations as recorded in the book of Judges, by Assyria and Babylon. And right now they were under the heel of Rome and they've never been slaves. 
Well, I think it's safe to say that denial is not just a river in Egypt because these people were denying it. That's that change curve. They were denying it. Self-deception keeps us in bondage, and we need to see our need for freedom. We need to see that. But their pride and their sin made them reject Jesus and made them incapable of both seeing their own history and who they were and who Jesus was right now in front of them. Their pride blinded them. The point I'd like to make is pride makes it difficult to admit our failings and our needs. Pride will blind us and it will get in the way. But I think it's important that if we're being freed, we understand what we're being freed from. And what Jesus wants us to know is what we're being freed from. And in Romans 6, 23, it says, for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what we're being freed from. We're being freed from death. And if I can just be real with you for a moment, we were all headed for eternal death, weren't we? We all had that death sentence, each and every one of us. We may not have understood it. We may not have realized it or grasped the gravity of what it really meant to do that. But have you ever experienced guilt? Have you ever experienced shame for the things that you've done in the past? I know I have. And there's things that I'm ashamed of. There's things I wish I could take back that I've never done. And we all have that capacity to relive those bad habits. And we ask this question of why. Why did I do that? And that's not what God wants for us. God doesn't want us to ask why, but he wants us to ask what. What can I do now, Lord? What can I learn from this? And as I follow you. Not why, looking in the past, but what, looking to the future. Now, I've done this countless times. I've done it many times. And this can cripple us. It can haunt us. It can take away our capacity to live, to love, and to serve, and to be a growing disciple. One of the biggest weapons that the enemy uses is that looking back in the past, looking back and trying to shame us. You know, one of the biggest things is when we come to church, the enemy's going to tell you, hey, don't let people know who you really are. Because if they knew who you really were, they wouldn't like you. They wouldn't want you to be there with them. And I can tell you right now, that's a lie from the enemy. That's a lie from the enemy. Because we know who we are. We're a new creation in Christ. That's who we are. We don't have to hide our past. The enemy wants to bring that up. And he always brings it up at the most inopportune time, doesn't he? Always. But that's the thing. We have been set free from that in Jesus Christ. We don't have to fear our past. We don't have to worry about that. When we repent, God forgave us. As far as the east is from the west, he's forgiven us, and he chooses not to remember it. And we shouldn't let the evil one bring it up to us as well. God will never bring it up. Christ forgives us of our past. And he takes away this stuff, this ability for us to not live a life that's full. And when we're forgiven, we're totally forgiven of all the fear, 
and all the shame and all the guilt. That freedom from fear is so important. And when we understand that Jesus has freed us and we understand what he's freed us from, now we can live a life of what Christ has called us to. What he's freed us from, but what he's freed us to. And in verse 34, it says this. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus shows us a deeper truth that all people are slaves to sin, each and every one of us. Even if we try to do our best and live a perfect life, we still have that sin nature in us, each and every one of us. But Jesus has the solution for us. The solution is he explains the difference between spiritual freedom and being a slave to sin. He's saying here, no matter if you're a son or a servant, a son has a permanent place. We have a permanent place in the family of God as sons and daughters of Christ, each and every one of us. The servant, the slave, does not have that permanent place in the house. He's not part of the family, and he's guaranteed no future and no freedom. But as a child of God, as we believe and receive Jesus Christ, we have a future. We have a place. You know, sin is a cruel master for a season, and sin is enjoyable for a season. But sooner or later, sin eventually throws everyone out to the streets. Each and every one of us will be thrown out. The next point is no one gets away indefinitely with sin and compromise. None of us. So how can slaves be set free? How can we be set free? And Jesus makes this wonderful statement of victory, and he says this. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. These are powerful, encouraging words for all of us today. Until we're set free by Jesus Christ and the freedom that he gives to us and we belong to God in his family, we will be slaves to sin. That's the key for us to understand what salvation is. Jesus releases us from this bondage of sin, this selfishness that we have. And we all have selfishness, don't we? Each and every one of us. And he frees us from all this so we can do the will of God. So we can live our lives and we can do the will of God. This freedom is a freedom to be honest and consistent in our words and our actions in our life. It's about obeying and applying God's word. The freedom to live. One of the reasons it's so important for us to understand that is that it frees us from bondage is because now it increases us to live a Christ-centered life. We don't have to worry about the past or the bondage. Only thing we have to do is obey God, apply his word, and lead a Christ-centered life. Jesus wants us to increase our capacity to love, to have joy, to experience peace, and to serve people. That's what he wants. So the question was, this is what Christ has freed us to. And what he's freed us to is John 10, 10 says, Jesus said, I have come that they may have, that they may have life and have it to the fullest. Live a Christ-centered life. Live your best life following Christ. Then verse 37 says, 
I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. It's likely that these are all the same Jewish leaders that have been hanging out. They're opposing him. Remember, they're opposing him. They're trying to kill him. And it's interesting that he says, Jesus says, I know you're Abraham's descendants and not your sons. Because his sons believed, but the descendants didn't. Abraham was a friend of God. He fellowshiped with him. He loved him. Jesus contrasts their behavior with Abraham by saying, you have no room for my word. Do we have room for God's word in our hearts? Do we have room for God's word in our heart? Abraham listened to God's truth and he obeyed. These religious leaders rejected the truth. And Jesus was speaking to them in spiritual terms. He was speaking to them about true freedom from sin. And they probably thought what he was doing was speaking about a political freedom. Remember, they didn't understand what he was saying. And then in verse 39, it says, Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, Abraham did no such thing. You're doing the works of your father. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. This self-righteous defense that they had. And later you're going to see that they start to strike out against Jesus. The emotional thing. When we get emotional, we say things and we do things. And that's what they're going to do. They're going to look at the legitimacy and the mystery of Jesus' birth on who he is. Remember, Abraham welcomed God and his messengers when they visited. In Genesis 18, it says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed down low to the ground. Do we do that? Do we rush to meet our Lord? Abraham did. He rushed to meet him. And for these Jews, they refused to even receive Jesus Christ. They didn't recognize who he was, and they're trying to kill him because he was speaking the truth. He said, Jesus says, you're not Abraham's children because you don't believe in me. They rejected him. In Galatians 3, it says this, the real children of Abraham are those who put their faith in God. Do we have our faith in God today? Have we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? And then in verse 42, it says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Now, Jesus is countering this claim about God being their father. He's countering this, saying that if you, God was your father, you would accept me because I come from him. I've told you this how many times I come from him. And they didn't do it. 
He's saying, you hear all, you love the God of Israel. You love all this, but you don't love me. I come from God and I hear his voice. They didn't understand because they were speaking two different languages. Um, speaking two different languages, you ever go down south? There's a couple different languages being spoke down there, right? And sometimes when you go there, you can't, you can't understand them because it's a completely different language. And what was going on here was a completely different language because Jesus was speaking spiritual and eternal, and they were speaking of the world. They were speaking worldly. Now, as disciples, we hear God's voice, and we hear God's voice in several ways. The number one way we hear God's voice is right here in his word. We hear God, he speaks to us through his word, through the Bible. The second is through the Holy Spirit, those inner promptings that we have. Do you ever get those inner promptings? The Holy Spirit's speaking to you. And visions and dreams, and he speaks to us a lot about creation when you just look outside. God can speak to us through creation. But he speaks to us through circumstances and other godly people. Have you ever had someone come and talk to you and you're like, after they got done, you're like, man, that feels like that came straight from God. And you look in your Bible and you're like, oh. because God puts people in our lives to speak to us in different ways. But we have to be a disciple so we can understand what he's saying. They didn't love God and they didn't understand what Jesus was teaching. Some heard and they understood, and they believed, and some did not. Though they struggled with these worldly distractions, with confusion about what he was teaching, and a lot of them even had fear. But some believed. They loved him. They followed him. And of them, Jesus would say this in Matthew 13, 16. I love this. He says, Jesus said, Blessed are the eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Disciples hear the voice of God. We hear it when God speaks to us. Whether it's through his word, whether it's through circumstances or through the Holy Spirit, we hear God speak. Now Jesus will point out and declare who their father really is. And this is a great passage. In verse 44, it says this, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. There is no truth in our enemy at all. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Now, telling these unbelieving Jews that the devil was their father, this was probably a hard conversation. It was a hard conversation for them. Have you ever had a hard conversation with somebody? When you speak the truth to somebody, it can be a hard conversation because the truth will divide us. But Jesus brings us together. There's unity in the body of Christ. And Jesus was having this hard conversation with them because he loved them. In Proverbs 27, 6, it says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. And it's only because a friend cares about the truth. And that's why we hear, we, we talk about sin. We talk about 
death because we love you and we care about you. We want to speak the truth. We want to tell you what the Bible says about it. We don't want to sugarcoat it. We want to have those hard conversations because we love you and we care about you. And Jesus is telling them, he's telling the truth because he is faithful to them. He's using this strong language because that's the only language that they could understand. And sometimes for us, doesn't it take that strong language like to our kids to get through to them? But we want them to be saved. So sometimes we have to do that. And Jesus did not say that every lost sinner is a child of the devil. That's not what he's saying here, though what he's saying is every lost sinner is certainly a child of wrath and disobedience. In Ephesians 2, it says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of a sinful nature. But, our very, but by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. And that's why it's so important that we believe and receive Jesus Christ into our lives. And when we do that, in 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. This is the new is here. We're made alive in Christ. We're a new creation in Christ. That old sinful nature is gone. And we're alive in Christ. Now, Jesus gives us very vivid description of who, Jesus, or of who their father was and Satan. He says he's a murderer and he's a liar. He's a source of all deceit and destructive acts. S Satan was a deceiver from the very beginning, wasn't he? Right at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, he lied right to her face. Lied. He lied. Satan lies to accomplish his desires. Cain was a child of the devil. He was a liar and he was a murderer. He killed his brother and then he lied about it. Is it any wonder that these religious leaders lied about who Jesus was? They hired false witnesses to lie about him and then they killed him. Next point I'd like to make is the worst bondage is the kind that we don't recognize for ourselves. The worst bondage that we can have is the sin that we don't recognize that we have. We think we're free, but we're not because we're all subject to that wrath. These leaders were enslaved by this terrible spiritual bondage and they did not face the truth. And yet the truth was right there and the truth is the only one that could set them free. And in verse 45, it says, yet, yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can you prove me guilty of a sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. He's saying, I'm telling you the truth, but you don't believe it because you don't belong to God. He's given them a clear 
words on who he is. He has told them several times, but he's saying, you don't hear it because you don't belong to God. I come from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me here. And now he contrasts this with the fact that Satan and his lies. Jesus puts himself in a situation, and then he calls out a challenge to them. And he says, can any of you prove me guilty of a sin? Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Jesus makes this statement, and people either hear it or they don't. It's based on whether they identify with who God is or they don't belong to God. The question is not, do we understand God? But the question is, do we want God in our lives? Do we want God in our lives? Are we going to follow him? Are we going to be a disciple and hear his voice? You know, Satan's children may be well-versed in all these religious traditions, but they have no understanding of God's word. They may be able to decide, to recite scripture, but they don't know who God is and they don't understand because they do not belong. If we, walk, if we know God and walk with him, we will hear the word of God. We will hear his voice and he will speak to us. Then in verse 48, it says, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan, a demon and demon possessed? Now this is saying that they said this after he said that they didn't know God. This hit them pretty hard. This stung them. This rebuke was a took hit on their pride. These religious leaders had pride, and now they're lashing out at him. What are they doing? They're name-calling. They're calling him names. They said, you're a Samaritan. You're demon-possessed. Samaritan, being called a Samaritan to a Jew was not a good thing. You know, I grew up in Ohio, and I'm a Browns fan, and I compare that to being called a Bengals fan. Just to let you know. Sorry if there's any Bengals fans out there. But they were what they do. They got into this emotional thing, and the first thing they did is start name-calling. Do we ever do that? Do we ever go and let our emotions run wild like that and then start name-calling people names? But Jesus didn't. His response was very calm. As we listen to this, he's very calm, but he's very firm. I'm not possessed by a demon, Jesus said, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. This is an amazing claim. Jesus always honors his father and they were dishonoring him. But he says, very truly, whoever obeys my word will never see death. And that's important for us. The point is that the believers are saying, he's telling them you will never see death. See, when we believe in Jesus and we're born again, when we're born twice, we will die once. And if we are born once, we will die twice. We will die a spiritual death or physical death and a spiritual death. But Jesus sets us free from that. The next point is believers go from life to life, from this life to the presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. To believe in Jesus. In verse 52 it says, At this they exclaimed, Now 
we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will not taste death. It's important. Taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Who does Jesus think he is, right? Who do you think you are? This outraged them. They were very upset, saying that Abraham died and so did the prophets. But if you look very closely to what the words are, these religious leaders changed the words of Jesus. He said that no one would see death, and they claimed that no one would taste death. First of all, we'll all taste death, each and every one of us. But when we're in Jesus Christ, we have no need to fear death because we've been set free from that death. We'll live spiritually. As Christ followers, we do not fear death since death was defeated on the cross. Amen. But he says, they said, who do you think you are? They're questioning him. And Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know me, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I know him and obey his words. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing the day he saw it and was glad. Jesus again answers them very calmly and firmly that he does nothing but for what glorifies his father. He does not bring glory to himself. He honors the father and glorifies him and they dishonor him. He was obeying God's word because he knew God. He had a relationship with God, a personal relationship with God. And that's who our God is. God is a personal, noble God. And Jesus is saying, I keep his word. I know him. I have a relationship with him because I live for Christ. And then verse 57 says this. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Now, Jesus was in his early 30s, right, about this time, about six months before he goes to the cross. But they're saying they use this number 50, kind of like, see, you're not old enough to know Abraham. But I think some of it might have been Jesus called the man of sorrow. So he might have looked a little bit older. He might have been taking on a little bit about what was going on. Or it could have been Melchizedek. When he met him, remember that Jesus was Melchizedek. And Abraham met him. And they say that that was the Lord. So maybe that's where he's saying that I met Abraham. And then in verse 58, it says, Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. Another one of those great I am's. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Jesus makes it very clear who he is. He makes it very clear the deity of who he is. He is God. And these Jews knew exactly what he was saying. They knew exactly what he was saying. And what they were saying is blasphemy. This is blasphemy. You are not God. And they wanted to pick up these stones and stone him on the spot. They wanted to get rid of him. The enemy always wants to deceive us, keeping us hidden in the dark so we don't know the truth. Always. 
That's what the enemy does. And Jesus concludes this chapter with another great claim. He is the eternal word. In John, 1 John, it says this, John 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Before Abraham was born, he was there. I am. Another one of those great I am's that he says. This is another deliberate identification of who he was. He was God. Yahweh, who said to Moses, I am that I am. There is only the one who can say that I am, and that is God. And for so many of these people, they were right there. God was in their midst. And they didn't realize it. They didn't see it. Some of them missed it, and some of them didn't. My question for you today is, are you going to miss it? Are you going to miss the opportunity to be set free from the bondage of sin and receive Jesus Christ into your life and have eternal life with Jesus in heaven? And remember, when we get to heaven, heaven is not the prize. Jesus is the prize. When we get to heaven, Jesus is the prize. And today, for us to know that Jesus is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And when we believe in him and receive him in our hearts, we will experience true freedom from our Lord and Savior, who the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm going to ask the band to come up. In John 8:51, it says, Very truly I tell you, everyone, I tell you, everyone who obeys my words, will never see death. Remember, when we receive Jesus Christ into our lives, we're born again, born twice, and die once. We die a physical death, but we won't die a spiritual death. We'll be with Jesus in heaven forever. Knowing and obeying God's word experiencing that true freedom by being a disciple of Christ, holding on to his words. And some of you today may not have ever experienced that freedom. You may not know what it is to be set free from the bondage or the addictions that you might have. I don't know what they are, but I know the one who does. And I know the one that can set you free from it if you just receive him and believe in him. If you want to receive him today, for the first time, I want to pray this prayer with you. If you bow your heads. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I want to walk in the light, and I want to ask for your forgiveness. I want to be free from my sin bondage. I want to walk in the light and know what true freedom comes from being freed by your son. I believe that you died for me on the cross and you gave me life and that you rose from the grave to defeat death. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my, my heart and my life. I want to follow you and trust you all the days of my life as my Lord and my Savior, 
And I want to receive that freedom that only comes from the Son, whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. Thank you.